We're in a sermon series right now uh, to better understand how God has designed us so that we can determine what would be a good vocational fit and what would be a good ministry fit, our work in the world, our ministry in the church. And we have uh, discovered that we experience joy and satisfaction when our choice of a job and choice of ministry connect with how God has designed us. And of course, throughout the series, we've been emphasizing the fact that design is an acronym. So uh, help me out up here. Uh, what does the D represent? Does anybody remember? Desires. desires, right, your desires. What are they? Well, those are your passions, your... Oh, okay, there you go. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> Your desires are your passions, your interests, the things that you really care about, that you enjoy doing. E stands for experiences, very good. What are they? Well, God has shaped and formed us through all kinds of experiences in life. Some of them are very positive, others are very painful. But it's amazing how God wants to use not only the good but the ugly to uh, minister to other people. So our experiences are keys, so are our skills, our natural and, and uh, developed uh, abilities and talents, our individuality, we talked about that last week, that's our temperament, our personality, that impacts us, as do our spiritual gifts. When we determine those areas of life, how God has designed us, then we find our and our niche appropriate areas uh, vocationally and in terms of ministry. Okay, how do these five connect together to determine appropriate areas of work and, and service? Well, look at this next slide, it gives you a graph, and uh, chart rather, and it helps you to, to see some of these things. Desires, for example, indicate where you are best suited to serve. So maybe it's working with children, you're passionate about that, or working with senior adults, maybe for you it's a cause. Uh, you're concerned about uh, poverty in our world, you're concerned about social justice kinds of issues. So when you are functioning according to your desires, you are highly motivated to participate in that area, whether it's your job choice or your, your ministry choice. And uh, sometimes even your experiences will help you to know where best to serve. For example, maybe you've come through a very painful situation in life. You've lost a loved one, you've lost a job, your income, uh, your marriage. Uh, you've lost that in terms of leading to a divorce. And God might lead you to form a ministry to help others who are struggling in that particular uh, area as well. So your experiences can help you to know where to serve. And then drop down to your individuality or your temperament, that indicates how you will serve. So if you are, for example, task-oriented, then ideally you're gonna to try to find a job in a ministry that allows you to perform tasks for the benefit of other people. If, on the other hand, you have a people orientation, then you ideally want to be in situations where you can uh, address those relational issues uh, for the benefit of others. And then your skills and gifts indicate what you will do when you serve. 
So your desires indicate where you will serve, but what are you gonna do in that area? If you're passionate about working with kids, what are you gonna do? Well, that's determined by your skills and your gifts. And of course, when you're working according to your skills and gifts, you serve more competently. Now, let me give you an example. Look at this next chart. And we meet Ted, Brenda, and Robert. Now, you notice they all have the exact same desire. They all want to work with kids from difficult life situations. But their individuality or temperament isn't the same. Ted has a people orientation. Brenda and Robert have a task orientation. And their gifts are different. So Ted has a, a gift of teaching. So maybe he'll end up, of course, teaching the children. Brenda, on the other hand, has a gift of giving. She might want to establish a foundation to fund a program for the children. Robert, on the other hand, he has a gift of administration. Maybe he'll end up being the school principal, for example. Well, the point of all of this is just to say that God has designed you for a purpose as well. And so today we're going to consider what God's Word says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 on this topic of G, spiritual gifts. So what I want to try to do at least is to answer the five questions you see in your sermon notes, the first of which is this one, what is a spiritual gift? Well, notice how Paul begins this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, notice. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant. The word translated ignorant in the New Testament Greek is the word agnosis from which we get our word agnostic. So Paul in effect is saying, look, I don't want anybody in the church to have to say, I don't have any understanding what, I'm just a Christian agnostic when it comes to this matter of gifts. I don't understand it. No, he wants us to understand what our gifts are. Nobody ignorant. So what is a spiritual gift? Well, let me give you both a working definition and then an expanded definition. So here's my working definition of a spiritual gift. Spiritual gift is a specific ability given by God the Holy Spirit, which enables each believer. So gifts, spiritual gifts are only given to Christians, okay? It enables each believer to contribute to the body of Christ, that's the church, with pleasure and effectiveness. Tell you what, let's share this together in unison, out loud, okay? Let's read this together. A spiritual gift is a specific ability given by the Holy Spirit, which enables each believer to contribute to the body of Christ with pleasure and effectiveness. For example, let's say your spiritual gift is teaching. Some with a gift of teaching are great one-on-one, -on -one, others in a small group context, still others in a large group. Some want to apply their teaching gift in writing, books, blogs, or even to develop a podcast. So there are all kinds of ways in which spiritual gift of teaching can be exercised. Now, if your gift is teaching, and let's say your desire, your passion is to do it with children in the church setting, then when it's time for you in the course of the week to develop a lesson for the kids, you're not going, oh man, 
I got to go prepare a lesson for those kids. Got to go teach those kids. No, you've been looking forward to this all week. This is your passion. You're excited about it. Can't wait to get there, connect with the kids, find out what's going on in their lives. And of course, it's that way with all the gifts. You know, the gift is the gift of mercy. If you have the gift of mercy, you're not going, oh, I got to go show mercy to my neighbors. I mean, you, this is something you're passionate about and you love to do it because God has gifted you to do those kinds of things. And that's the way it is then with all the gifts. Now, Paul here in the opening uh, section of this 12th chapter provides us with five key words that provide us with an expanded definition of a spiritual gift. So first of all, in the opening verse, he says, now about spiritual gifts. Literally, he says, now about spirituals, or now about spiritual things. As your outline indicates, it's the Greek word nomatikoi, from which we get words like pneumonia, or nomadic tires. It has to do with wind, the lungs, breathing, and pneuma is the New Testament word for the Holy Spirit. So the use of this first word, pneumatikoi, lets us know that gifts are not the same as natural talents. They belong to and are distributed by God, the Holy Spirit, which fits in with our definition, where we said it's an ability given by the Holy Spirit. So look at um, verse 11 here. Paul writes, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he, the Spirit, gives them to each one just as he determines. So if somebody comes up to you and says, anybody should be able to teach kids in church, you know, no, 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 that, that is simply not the case. Don't believe it. The Spirit determines who gets what gifts. And that's what we learn from the, for this first word, nomadikoi. In verse four, he gives us a second word. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but this word is very different. It's the Greek word charismata, we get charismatic from it. Charis is the New Testament Greek word for grace. So the use of this word lets us know that gifts come from God's grace, right? They're not rewards that are given out in fulfillment of certain conditions. You don't work for it, you don't pray for it, you don't earn it because of your dedicated life. It's a gift of God's grace, okay? All right, there's a third word in verse 5, Paul uses the word diakonia. It's translated service. There are different kinds of service. We get deacon from this particular word. And the word reminds us that gifts are to be exercised for the well-being of other people. Okay? God did not give you spiritual gifts so that you can show off to everybody how amazing you are or if you're, your personal buzz. He gives us gifts so that we can use it for the well-being of the church in which he has placed you. For many of you, of course, that would be right here at City Church. So we're given an amazing picture here, okay? So God gives Nan over here certain gifts and he gives Michelle different gifts. He gives Phil different gifts from Michelle and from Nan and we're all working together we complement one another. We have this beautiful, amazing picture of what the church is supposed to be, okay? All serving together for the well-being and to fulfill the mission that God has given to us as a community. 
All right, in verse six, Paul gives us a fourth term, energema, to describe the gifts. We, uh, it's translated here, working. There are different kinds of working. We get energy from this particular word, and it lets us know that when gifts are exercised, God's power, okay, God's energy is at work in and through the Christian for the well-being of other people. All right, one other word, verse seven. He uses the word phonorosis. Now to each one, the phonorosis, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Now this word means to make something clear. We talk about how Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. He makes God clear. You wanna know what God is like? What do you do? You look at Jesus. He's God in the flesh, okay? All right, so who manifests the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer is you do. Yeah, you represent God, the Holy Spirit. That's quite a thought, isn't it? So to summarize all of these different terms, here's our expanded definition now. Gifts are from the Spirit. They're gifts of grace. They're given to serve other people. God's power is at work and they represent the Holy Spirit of God. So that's our definition of, of uh, gifts. Okay, number two. Can spiritual gifts be abused? Answer, yes. And that is exactly why Paul wrote not only this entire chapter, the 12th, but the two that follow. Chapters 12, 13, and 14, three chapters, 84 verses, have been written by the Apostle Paul because of certain abuses that were going on in the life of this particular congregation. There were two main abuses then, and guess what? Those same two abuses exist, unfortunately, today. What are they? Well, the first one is gift exaltation. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means if I'm engaging in this abuse of gift exaltation, I'm thinking, my gift is more important than yours. Oh, yeah. And this was happening in the life of this church at Corinth with respect to the gift of speaking in tongues, which is why Paul refers to it 19 times in these 84 verses, all right? They were exalting that gift to the neglect of other gifts. So Paul's emphasis throughout this section is on what? Variety, different kinds of gifts, different kinds of service, different kinds of working. Why in the world are you exalting one gift over all the others? Can you predict what would happen, say at City Church, if anybody here were to exalt one gift over another gift? You know what it does? Eventually it leads to pride. I mean, it causes some people to think that they're among the spiritually elite. I have this gift, you don't, too bad for you, all right? And it leads to first and second class Christians depending on who has what gifts. Some churches do this with the gift of teaching or evangelism or faith or prayer. Any gift can be exalted and it promotes pride, so don't go there, all right? All right, the second abuse is gift projection. You say, what in the world is that and how does it differ from gift exaltation? Well, with gift exaltation, I'm thinking my gift is more important than yours. With gift projection, I don't understand why you can't do what I can do so easily. 
All right, so that's the problem with gift projection. Sometimes gift projection occurs in churches with respect to the gift of evangelism. Some people do it with ease because it's their gift. And they love to build relationships with people who seem to be far from God. And um, they do it with ease, you know. Um, they love to strike up conversations with people and eventually, as God leads, to direct them to Jesus Christ. And so they tend to think, well, what's wrong with you that you're not building all of these relationships as easily as I'm doing it? And it leads to this matter of, uh, of gift projection. Sometimes it also can happen in a church in connection with prayer. Have you ever read a Christian biography of you know, some outstanding Christian leader from the past who spent like 10 hours of prayer every day and got amazing results? And instead of being encouraged by that person's modeling, you, you feel guilted and shamed, you know? And uh, sometimes that can happen because maybe this person had the gift of intercessory prayer and that may not be your gift. So with regard to all of these different abuses, what's the answer? Paul is saying it's recognizing variety, different kinds of gifts, different kinds of service, different kinds of working, variety. Okay, so those are the abuses. All right, here's another question. Who has spiritual gifts? Well, the answer is you do, all right? Every Christian has at least one gift to function in the body of Christ, the church. Some believers have a combination of gifts. So for example, if they have the gift of teaching, they may have the gift of knowledge where they love to do research, love to get into the Bible and study it and then go and share it, teach it what they've learned to other people. Some with the gift of faith may also have the gift of prayer. So there are sometimes these combinations. But look at these two verses. First of all, verse 7. Paul says, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Verse 11, all these are the work of the one in the, one in the same Spirit. He gives them to each one just as he determines. Each one includes you. You are not the exception to these verses. Every once in a while, I'll meet up with a believer who will say something like, you know, Rich, I, there's nothing I can do. I'm not gifted to do anything. I remember once somebody sharing that with an associate pastor in the church I was serving, and the pastor looked down at the person's shoes and said, your, your laces are tied. Who tied your shoelaces? Well, I did. All right, so you have the ability to tie shoelaces? Well, yeah. Well, we could use you to work with the toddlers in our church who are constantly, you know, untying their shoelaces. Somebody else said something similar to that to a different pastor, and this pastor said, how did you get to the service this morning? And the guy said, well, I got in my car and I drove here. Oh, you can drive a car, you have a license? Sure do. Well, we need you to go provide transportation for some people who want to come to the service and can't get here. They don't have transportation. So there are all kinds of things we can do. But here's the point. Some of you may feel very inadequate, unimportant. You know, maybe you feel if you're not here, nobody's even gonna miss you. You don't feel connected to this church, all right? Well, I want you to know something. 
You are needed, you are wanted and gifted to do your part in this church. Look at verse 27 of this chapter in the New Living Translation. Now all of you together are Christ's body. You're part of the church. Each one of you is a separate and notice necessary part of it. You are necessary to the well-being and the mission of this church. To illustrate, for something like 18 years, Valor and I lived uh, in the Boston area, not 18 consecutive years, but altogether 18 years. Well, every 4th of July, there's this huge concert uh, right by the Charles River, uh, put on by a group known as the Boston Pops. And about 250,000 people or, show, or so will show up for this particular concert. Millions more are watching it across the country on public television. Well, there's one uh, instrument that pretty much isn't used for the entire concert. It's in the flute family. It looks like a baby flute. It's called a piccolo. You know what I'm talking about? What a, I guess it's something like this long, little instrument, all right? The grand finale of this concert, every single year for who knows how many years now, has been this patriotic song called Stars and Stripes Forever. And there's a part in that song where all the other instruments kind of fade away, all right? And the piccolo takes over. It's just amazing at that moment. And then the fireworks go off and, you know, it's just great. Well, it's such a small instrument. But what would this entire concert be like without Stars and Stripes Forever? And what would Stars and Stripes Forever be like without the piccolo? <laughs> now, some of you in the orchestra of God's family, the church, may feel like you're just a piccolo. But God has designed some place of ministry where only you can effectively minister. Say, oh, come on. Other people can do what I do. Well, yeah, probably, but not in the same way. And God wants you to wake up to that reality, that you will continue to feel disconnected until you are involved using the gifts that God has given you for the well-being of other people. So who has spiritual gifts? You do. Every believer has at least one. All right, what are the gifts? That's question four. Well, I'm not going to read all of these verses, but uh, I just want to note you to notice these gifts, uh, verses 8 to 10. Notice this list. Wisdom is referred to knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues or languages. Next group of verses, 28 and 29, mentions some others, although there's a little bit of duplication. Apostles prophets, teachers, workers of miracles, healing, help, administration is referred to, and again, speaking in tongues. All right, concerning these gifts, I wanna make a couple of observations. Here's the first. I don't think this list is meant to be exhaustive, all right? Because other passages, Romans 12, Ephesians chapter four, mention other gifts that are not found here, and no list is, uh, is exhaustive or complete, I think it's reasonable for us to conclude that the Bible is not concerned to give us a complete list, that these are just examples. 
Some people would want to add the gift of craftsmanship referred to in the book of Exodus, which is what? It's the ability to design or construct things to be used in ministry. So people that have that gift love to build things, uh, paint things, draw things. Some would want to add the gift of uh, what is known as creative communication. What's that? Well, it's the ability to communicate God's truth in a variety of art forms. You know, drama, uh, writing, dance, music, video production, website design, where people are using their crea creativity to cause others to consider the message of Jesus Christ. Just to give you a, a quick example, there's a, a big ad campaign in major cities across the United States right now, including our own city, where uh, people are using creativity to produce TV ads to get people to think in biblical ways about Jesus. I don't know if any of you have seen any of these ads. There's a 30 second ad, 40 second, 60 second. And I think they're a great example of creative communication. All right, so the lists in scripture do not appear to be exhaustive. Now here's another observation I wanna make. When, uh, as you look at these lists, I think certain um, clarifications need to be made. And let me mention a couple. One is, please don't confuse spiritual gifts with natural talents. Even non-Christians have talents. Only Christians have spiritual gifts, which are given to believers at the time that they're converted when we receive the Holy Spirit into our lives. So you may have a talent for cooking, a talent for repairing cars, a talent for playing basketball. Those are talents, but they're not, playing basketball is not necessarily a spiritual gift. You can use your gifts in the game, but playing the game itself is, is not a spiritual gift. Now, sometimes, our talents before we're converted get kind of transferred, you might say, into a spiritual gift after we're converted. Somebody who's a school teacher, okay, talent for teaching, becomes a Christ follower and discovers that the gift of teaching is carried over into the Christian life and is applied for the benefit of people even in the life of the church. Person with a gift of talent of, uh, for administrative detail. That may be carried over as a spiritual gift. At other times, they're not carried over. Let me give you an example. Some of you are old enough to remember a singing group known as the Righteous Brothers. Michelle is saying, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Any of you uh, remember the Righteous Brothers? Okay, a number of you, all right. When the Beatles were here doing their U.S. tours, frequently the uh, Righteous Brothers were sort of the warm-up group. Well, the Righteous Brothers were not very righteous, all right? And one of their uh, members was a guy named John Wimber, who came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, John Wimber went on uh, to uh, teach at Fuller Seminary for a time, and he started a church known as the Vineyard Church, which spread like wildfire all over our country, vineyard churches all over the United States and even other countries of the world. John Wimber discovered 
when he became a Christ follower, the, the ability to do music as he did in his pre-Christian days, those kinds of gifts and talents were not transferred over into a spiritual gift. He now had the gift of teaching and what is sometimes called apostleship, that is the ability to start churches. God used him in those various ways. So don't confuse spiritual gifts and natural talents. Here's another clarification. Please don't confuse spiritual gifts and Christian roles. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, when you look at the various gifts listed in the Bible, it's pretty obvious that some of them describe activities that are expected of every Christian. So we need to distinguish between the, the gift and the role. As an example, isn't your Christian life every single day to be characterized by faith? Well, of course it is. Right? You're to trust God. I'm to trust God. Okay. But there are individuals, as we've seen in the listing of gifts that I, I've read off to you, some people have the gift of faith, which is the God-given ability to trust in the promises of God and encourage us to do the same thing. So there's the role that we all have to trust God, but there are others that inspire us to do just that who have the gift. Same is true with respect to evangelism. We're all called upon to build relationships with people in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, you know, to bear witness of Christ as he opens up those doors. But there are some, as I've already indicated to you, who have that uh, gift of, of, the gift of evangelism. So there's the role, there's the gift. All right, one other question. What does God want me to do about this whole topic of spiritual gifts? Well, he wants you and me to do three things. First of all, to discover ours. Discover ours. Remember verse one? Now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. So God wants you to be able to discover your gift. How do you do that? Well, let me offer a couple of suggestions. First, explore the meaning of gifts, especially those gifts that you think you may have. Say, Pastor Rich, how am I going to do that? How am I going to explore the meaning of these different gifts? Well, what you can do and what I hope you will do is to pick up an exercise as you leave the service today. You knew I was going to get around to that, didn't you? Yeah, this is our fifth and last personal exercise. Some of you have been diligent. Others of you may, may need you know, a, a good reminder that you've started well. Now, how about finishing well? Catch up where you need to catch up, but there's another personal exercise on spiritual gifts. It's gonna help clarify some things for you. So you can pick up a hard copy if that's what you wanna do, the hard copy uh, way of doing it. You can pick up the hard copy out in the lobby following the service, or you can go to our website and uh, the top menu, find resource, Click on resource, drop down menu, design the name of the series. It'll take you right to the exercise on, um, on spiritual gifts. So uh, explore the meaning of gifts. I think even a better way to find out what gifts God has given to us is to experiment in areas of interest. Serve in areas you're interested in to see how God uses you. If there's joy and satisfaction and um, that God is blessing what you are doing. Those are indications that he has gifted you. For example, I thought 
at an earlier time in my life that God wanted me to do something career-wise in the area of sports, probably a coach or a phi ed teacher, something of that nature. So I go to this Christian college. Year one, I tear up my knee playing basketball. God takes away my idol. I really had an idolatrous attachment to those kinds of things. And I also had to uh, engage in a mission. And my responsibility was to teach 400 inmates at a county penitentiary, male inmates, every single week. By the way, it happened to be the penitentiary where my father was incarcerated for a period of time, but that's another story. I would not have known that God had ministry in mind for me in a local church setting doing teaching, for example, by taking a survey. I think a far better way for most of us unless we have a lot of church experience, is to experiment in areas of, of interest. So that can be very helpful. So exploring the meaning, experimenting in areas of interest can help you to do the first thing God wants you to do, discover your gift. Once you've discovered your gift, the second thing he wants you to do is to develop it. 1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect the spiritual gift you received. Now maybe you're sitting here today and you know what your gifts are. Okay, are you neglecting to, to use those gifts for the well-being of other people? Maybe you're saying, I'm just too busy, or I have other interests, or I'm too old, or I'm too this, or I'm too that. Okay, you know, Satan just loves to do whatever he can to discourage us from discovering and developing our gifts. Yeah, all right? So he's gonna try to get you involved sometimes even in good things that are not necessarily the best things, all right? So you don't know the joy that can come from being used by God in ministry. So develop your gifts. And then finally, God wants you to deploy your gifts. First Peter 4, 10. God has given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. Why does God want you to use your gifts? First of all, three reasons. First of all, for your benefit. That's one reason he wants you to do that. I mean, you're gonna know a level of joy and satisfaction. I started this series week one by quoting the story of Eric Liddell, the, the star of the, one of the stars of the movie Chariots of Fire, where he tells his sister, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. There is a joy and satisfaction that you and I experience when we're using our gifts for ministry, and God wants us to know that. Nobody who comes to his or her deathbed you know, time to, to pass into eternity is gonna say, oh man, if I had just worked more hours and made more money. No, but some of us perhaps are gonna wonder, did I waste my life? Or did I do something that's gonna outlive me and have eternal consequences? So I wanna challenge you to become involved in a cause of eternal significance. What's that? discovering your gifts, using them to serve God and others, your life will never be the same, all right? You will experience joy. Then he also wants you to use your gifts to benefit the church, frankly. All of these gifts passages throughout the New Testament 
all are linked together in the context of service in and for the church. Now, some of you can't use your gifts right now. Your marital situation, health concerns for you or a loved one, your, your work schedule just doesn't permit it. We get that. So the last thing we, we wanna do is heap guilt and shame on you. But if you can, then God is challenging you to step up and to serve according to your gifts for the benefit of the church. And finally, you need to use your gifts because it honors God. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. We read verse 10, but I wanna add 11 to it. God has given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. Then God will be given glory in everything through Jesus Christ. So why discover, develop, and deploy your gifts? You will experience joy, you will contribute to the body, and you'll be honoring God. And so this morning, I'm asking you to make what could very well be one of the most important commitments of your life. The most important commitment of your life is to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And if you've never addressed that issue, you need to understand you're not a Christian. You don't have the hope of heaven. You don't have a clear sense of purpose or direction in your life. You really don't until you are in a, in a re loving relationship with Jesus, trusting in him as your Savior and Lord. So that's what you need to address right now by calling upon him to become your Savior. But if you've committed your life to Christ, I'm inviting you to commit to using your God-given design for his purposes. It's saying, Lord, I give it all back to you. My desires are from you. My experiences from you, skills, individuality, gifts, it's all yours. And I'm offering all this to you for the benefit of your people, for the mission of the church in the world, and to honor you. May God grant that that will be each of our responses. Let's pray together. Well, Father, if you've spoken to anyone in this series about the need to make a vocational change, um, and they're not quite there yet, may you be pleased to give them the courage, the strength, and the faith to obey. Father, some here may still not be clear about vocational or ministry issues and they need your ongoing direction. And so we want to make a difference for you. Father, may we discover our niche vocationally and in areas of ministry for our well-being, for the good of others, and ultimately for your great glory. And then when we stand before you, May we hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.